You know, as a kid, you have lots of questions about Christmas. What's going to be underneath the tree? Am I going to get what I asked for? Which list did I get on? Um, would I get a, that belt buckle for the third year in a row from my aunt and uncle that I rarely know? Um, will my dad get a shirt from his mother that always appears to be too small every year? You know, um, you know there's kinds of questions that we ask ourselves when we're kids and we watch things happen and slowly unfold at Christmas. Um, but as we get older, our questions shift. They're less about what's under the tree and then more questions about how we're going to pay for what's under the tree, you know. And uh, will my family survive getting through the holidays? Will we make it through another holiday? And will we make it through another year? Those are the kinds of questions. Not so much looking forward to the event, but surviving the event and making, through, making it through the event. And as you get older, you begin to see Christmas differently. And sometimes that can be a good change. When I was a kid, it was um, common for me to discover my Christmas presents before Christmas. You said, how did you find out your Christmas presents before Christmas? Well, I didn't go looking for them intentionally, but I would be looking for something else in the house, and I would come upon these things and like, oh, that's a present, and I think it's for me. Um, and I didn't tell my mom or didn't mom and dad and didn't announce it to my siblings. Somehow, I think my parents figured this out because one year they hid some things in these, this remote out-of-the-way place I would never imagine looking, but they actually forgot my, one of my presents was there, so I got it the next year. I got two of them the next year. Um, but this continued even after I left my parents' home and I got married, and I would just be looking for something around my birthday or around Christmas, and innocently, I would discover a present. Now, wisely, I didn't announce it to my wife before Christmas, but usually after Christmas, I would announce, oh, yeah, I saw that, I found that, and I would get read the riot act, you know, from my wife, um, who very much is big on surprises. And I told her, I said, I wasn't snooping, I wasn't looking, I just found it. I didn't do this intentionally, it was all innocent, but she informed me that when it gets close to Christmas, you don't look in any bag that you didn't bring something into the house in. You don't go into any closet you don't normally go into. Um, you don't look anywhere or go anywhere you normally do not go unless you ask permission to go into those places. I have to admit, I've been much more surprised at Christmas the last few years as I've changed my ways. Um, you know, as you get older, certain things about the holidays change, don't they? Um, some things get a little bit better, some things get a little bit harder, and you might lose some of that childlike wonder, and the questions get bigger, and the questions at times get harder. Maybe you've started to ask some of the really big questions like, what is the point of me being here, and, and um, is this as good as it gets, and how do I really know God, and why was I born into this family? Um, how do I love these people who at one point in my life ignored me, maybe abandoned me, isolated or rejected me, or maybe even abused me? Very hard questions to answer as we walk into this time of year. And today we're going to continue our series, um, Fresh Eyes, Looking at Christmas in a New Light. Um, and my hope for you is that you'll get some clarity as we talk about trying to answer the difficult questions that we're faced with. And we're going to look at the story of an individual, some individuals who fit, were faced with some very difficult questions, and we're trying to find the answers to them. If you haven't been here with us, we looked at the story of Christmas through the eyes of Mary, and then last week we looked at the story of Christmas through the eyes of shepherds, individuals that were on the outskirts, the outside, the edge of society, but were invited in. And as they were invited and their eyes were turned, not from the circumstances that they were facing down in front of them, but their eyes were turned upward. And their perspective changed drastically. 
And so this morning, we're going to look at through Christmas through the eyes of the Magi, or sometimes known as the wise men, the wise men. So, what do you know about the wise men? So, first of all, how many wise men were there? How many think there were two wise men? Anybody think there were two? How about 15? Anybody think there were 15? How about three? Anybody think there was three? Okay, got a bunch of threes out there. Um, But the truth is, we really don't have any idea how many wise men there were. You say, but John, there's three. We just sang it in the song, you know? We three kings, isn't that where it came from, you know? Um, but the truth is, we really don't know. You say, well, where do we come up with the number three on all of our nativities? Where do we come up with that? Well, likely it came from the fact that there were three kinds of gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Usually in a traveling caravan, it was quite large for security reasons. You did not travel in small bands unless you were raiders or people that were trying to steal from others so you could be quick and elusive and move fast. Um, So here's another question. Where did the wise men come from? Anybody think they came from India? How about China? How about China? How about Persia? Anybody think they came from Persia? Few of you, none of you are going to guess. You're all like, I'm not guessing. He's going to tell me I'm wrong, you know. Here's one. How about Yemen? Anybody think they came from Yemen? Well, let's talk about a few of these. Why did I say India and China? Well, they're far away, and they're from the east. Isn't that where they came? They came from far away from the east. Could they have come from there? Well, they possibly could have come from there. How about Persia? Well, there's astrologers that live in Persia. We just saw that. If you were here with us earlier this fall, we were in the book of Daniel, and Daniel was taken from the land of Israel over to the land of Persia, and they were astrologers in that land, so they could have come from Persia. How about Yemen? Well, more on that to come in just a few minutes. So, um, What were they called? What were they called? Um, how many think they were called kings? Anybody think they were called kings? They could have been referred to as kings. You say, why were they referred to as kings? Well, anytime you're in a position of power and authority, we were just looking at the book of Daniel, the story of Daniel, and Daniel was um, second, in com- second or third in command in the whole kingdom, and so he could have been viewed as a king. Um, Joseph, another name in the Old Testament stories, he was second in command. He could have been viewed as a king. How about the Magi? That's another name for them, or the wise men. So where did these names come from? Well, I just, the name kings actually comes from medieval times. That's when they, the wise men started to be referred to as kings during that era. The Magi is simply a Greek name in Matthew, and then wise men was a Hebrew title given to men who knew the stars. And so what do we know about these individuals, and how did they get to where they were? How did this all unfold? How did it all unfold? Well, before we look at the actual story, I want us to go backwards a little bit to, in, in the Bible to some passages in the Old Testament. The first one I want us to look at is Numbers 24, 17. Numbers 24, 17. And in Numbers 24, 17, it says, A star will come out of Jacob. A scepter will rise out of Israel. A star will come out of Jacob, and a scepter will rise out of Israel. This was a prophecy that was made long, long ago. It was in the midst of a series of prophecies um, that were made by an individual named Balaam about things that were to come. And so he makes this prophecy. They didn't really know what it was about or what was going to take place, but there, the, Jacob represents the land of the people of Israel. It's one of their forefathers. A scepter is something that a king always has. And so when these... Um, magi saw these stars in the skies. Likely they began to scour their old books to try to figure out what in the world was going on. Um, 
Unfortunately, they didn't have Google search in those days, so it took them a while to dig through all the old books. And they probably got some buddies. You dig through all the old books. You know anything about a special star? Anybody know anything about a special star? Anybody read anything about a special Oh, I remember that story, those prophecies in the book of Numbers about a star. What's associated with a star? And this likely would have begun their journey to the land of Israel, the land of Jacob. The story adds another element in the book of 1 Kings. And in the book of 1 Kings, uh, the, ruling, the ruling king in that day was King Solomon. And if you know anything about Solomon, you know he was one of the wealthiest and wisest men who ever lived. And so individuals would travel from all over kingdoms around the world. They would bring him treasures so that he wouldn't try to defeat them and conquer them and wipe them out. And so that's what other kings and queens did from other countries. And so in 1 Kings chapter 10, there's this story of a woman who comes to visit. Um, and when she comes to visit, she said, I did not believe these things until I came and saw with my own eyes. Not even half was told to me. In the wisdom and the wealth, you have far exceeded the report I have heard. You say, who's talking? Who's telling that this has happened? Well, it's a woman who is known as the Queen of Sheba. Yes, it's not just a cat name, you know. Um, it's a name of a woman in the Bible, you know. The queen of Sheba. And then what did she do? In verse 10, she gave the king 120 talents of gold, large quantities of spice, and precious stones. Never again were so many brought in as these, um, in as these the queen of Sheba gave to King Solomon. You say, John, why is that significant? Well, the, the, the region that she came from is the southern tip of the Arabian Peninsula. And I'll show you a picture in just a few minutes to explain that where that is. But why this is significant is because in the country of Africa, there's gold mines. And she brought more gold than had ever been brought at that time. There's also some trees, the Boswelli tree, from which gum is used to make frankincense. And the Kamafori tree, which resin is used to make myrrh. And all of those are only grown in the southern part of the Arabian Peninsula. You fast forward a few hundred years to the book of Isaiah. And in the book of Isaiah, um, which Isaiah was a prophet, he talked about things that were to come. And in Isaiah chapter 6, 60, he has this phrase. It says, Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord rises upon you. Um, if you recognize some of those words, they come from a great musical piece called Handel's Messiah. That's where these words were taken as they're pronouncing the arrival of this one who's going to come, this Messiah who's going to come, and the glory that is going to come along with him. But then a couple of verses later in verse 5, it says, Then you will look and be radiant. Your heart will throb and swell with joy. The wealth and the seas will be brought to you. The riches of the nations will come. Herds of camel will cover your land. And all from Sheba will come, bearing gold and incense and proclaiming the praise of the Lord. In 160 AD, Justin Martyr, a Palestinian Christian, recorded a conversation with a Jew that survived to this day. And in that story, he talked about wise men who came from Arabia to Bethlehem, and they brought gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And this is later affirmed by several ancient historians. So where is this place that we're talking about? Well, down in the southern tip of the Arabian Peninsula is this place called Yemen, where the Queen of Sheba was from. And there's a distinct possibility that they traveled from there all the way up to the land of Israel. Um, and that could be where they, have, where they came from. And you say, well, what's the point of all of this, John? What's the point of all of this? Well, as you think about the wise men, you think about these individuals um, who saw something in the heavens, and they noticed something was different. 
Now, how many of you notice when something's different around your house? Let me see your hands. How many, how many of you are oblivious? It just happens. The house gets painted and you didn't even notice. Okay, you know. Um, I tend to notice little things when they get changed around the house. I don't know why. I'm just observing about little things. I get myself in trouble about this because I make comments and I should just keep my mouth shut. But, you know, um, I, I, I tend to notice little things. And... Um, my wife doesn't tend to notice little things, which is amazing because somebody rearranged our manger scene and she noticed it right away. I was quite impressed that she noticed that right away. Um, but um, the wise men, these guys, they were astrologers. And what they did is night after night after night, they would look up in the sky and watch the stars. And they would notice the movement of the stars. As the earth would rotate, and I'm not sure they knew exactly what was happening scientifically, but as the earth would rotate, they would see different stars and different formations in the heavens. And one night they looked up and they saw a star that was more brilliant than anything they had ever seen before. And as they saw this star that was more brilliant than anything they saw before, they said, where did this come from? Does anybody know anything about this? And the questions started coming. What's the point of this? They believe things that happened in the heavens happened for a reason. Why did all of these things take place? And as they began to find out more and more information, they began to find themselves deciding, we need to take a trip. We need to explore. We need to try to figure out what was going on here. And that's where our story picks up in Matthew chapter 2. If you have your Bibles, if you want to turn to Matthew chapter 2, it's page 783, and the Bible's there in your seats. And so the wise men, when you think about wise men, I want you to think about individuals who were curious, individuals who had questions, individuals who were trying to get answers that no one else was willing to get answers to. That's who the wise men were. They weren't wise just because they could solve everybody's problems. They were curious. They were seekers. They were trying to make sense out of things that didn't make sense. Maybe that's been a little bit of your life experience. You've, you're at the point in your life where you're wondering why these things have happened. Life doesn't seem to make a lot of sense. And you decided to give something new a try. Maybe you've read books, you watch things on TV, you listen to podcasts, you're like, maybe I'll give the God thing a try. And I'll come with my spouse or with my parent, or with someone who invited me, and see if this can make any sense. What could it hurt? What could it hurt? And so the wise men began this journey, and they found enough evidence to discover that there was something about this place where the baby was. Something about this place. They discovered in Micah chapter 5, which is a little bit later in chapter 2, this verse but you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. So they knew there was some type of ruler that the star signified was happening, was coming to a position of authority and power in the land of Israel, in the city of Jerusalem. And so that's where they went, looking for a sign. After Jesus was born, during the time of King Herod, they came from the east, and they came to Jerusalem. And this was not an easy time to begin this search because if you do study anything about Herod, Herod was a man who was neurotic. Herod was a man who was paranoid. You can read a little bit later in chapter 2 about how Herod wiped out 
the baby boys in that community because of his fear of someone taking over his kingdom. And so it wasn't a real time, it wasn't a time when questions were encouraged, when questions were welcomed. But these guys came with their questions. And they came to the reigning king and said, Have you, do you know anything about this other king? This other king. Where is the one who is born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. They saw that, and they had questions. Questions that didn't have answers, but they tried to find the answers too. And maybe that's where you're at. You have questions, and you're trying to find the answers. You don't know why these things have happened in your life. You don't, you don't know why you can't seem to get a step ahead. You don't know why everything bad seems to happen to you. Your luck never seems to turn out. And you don't know why. You don't know why. You don't know why you lost a loved one this time of year. Why not another time of year? Why this time of year? And likely these magis were, magi were asking some questions as well. These were not Jews. These were not Jews. Um, we're not quite exactly sure what their faith orientation was. It was likely a conglomeration of various things. God hadn't spoken to them in a dream. God did that. All throughout chapter 2, God speaking to everybody else, never spoke to the wise men. They just following the star and asking questions. Did you ever wonder what it would take to get satisfying answers to your questions? I mean, they asked the king, they said, where is he? Where is he? We don't know where he is. And the king didn't really know. He said, go and see what you can find out. And so they went on their way. And then as they went on their way and left, it wasn't a dream. It wasn't a message from God. It was a star that showed up again. And they went to this, followed the star and it stopped over the place where the child was. And when they saw that star, they were filled with incredible joy. And what did they do after that? On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother, Mary. And they bowed down and worshipped him. They opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. You know, and think of the fact that these guys were asking questions. They were trying to find a question. They were trying to make sense out of the star, out of all that was going on. And when they got the answer, the answer wasn't what satisfied them. Getting the answer wasn't what satisfied him. You know, we tend to think that if I just get answers to my questions, if I just get someone explaining my dilemmas to me, solving my problems, then I will feel much better. You know, from the time that we're young kids, we're looking for answers, right? Right? If you're a little kid and you got older brothers and sisters and you're trying to make sense out of life, who do you ask? Ask your older brother and sister, right? And they'll mess you up, you know? They will. They like to do that. I was one of them, you know? Make things up and tell you stuff, get you in trouble, you know? But you go back to them again, right? And ask them again, because why? You trust them. You trust them because you're a kid. You're looking for answers, you know, and, and when, you're, when you're in pain, you're looking for someone to help with your pain. So, you know, whichever parent is good with pain and, and when you're looking for direction, you, whichever parent is good to give you direction or help you solve a problem. And so we know the people that can help walk with us through life, right? And we know the people that can help navigate life through us. But the truth is when we get our problems solved, when we get the questions to our answers, it doesn't always make us feel better. 
Because just having information up here doesn't just make us feel better. Because when life gets confusing, you might not go to someone who has all the answers, but you might go to someone who can give you some hope. When you're in pain, you don't necessarily go to someone who has all the answers. You go to someone that gives you comfort. And the same is true with God. You know, I was thinking about this this past week, and I thought, what if God answered my questions? What if God answered my questions? Then what? Then what? Would I feel better about life? Would I feel more encouraged about my struggles? Um, would, I, would I have more hope if I just had the answers to my questions? A religious scholar, a great preacher and author, Frederick Beckner said it this way. He said, imagine God could intervene in the universe in a supernatural way. Imagine this. He says, suppose God would take the river of the Milky Way as we see it, flowing across the sky at night, and were to brighten it up a little and rearrange the stars so that suddenly one night when we went out and looked outside and looked up in the heavens and not see the, usually, usually, the usual seemingly haphazard array of stars, but instead we would see written out in light, year letters that said, I exist, across the sky. And he goes on to say, imagine that God did this night after night after night with a different message, you know, a little bit like Charlotte's Web, you know, it was a different message every night that would tell us that God exists. And it would gender hope and comfort and for some regret People would be filling churches, crime would stop, and a hush would fall over the entire world. He then goes on to say, imagine a child with a wad of gum in their mouth turning to his dad with the crazy courage of childhood and utter the words that would make the angels gasp. So what if God exists? What difference does it make? What difference does it make? You see, the truth is, we all want proof. But proof in the stars is not the kind of assurance that we want. We want something more. We want something more. What we need to know is not just that God exists in the brightness of the stars, but there's a God right here. There's a God that is present. There's a God that is with us. No matter what we're facing, no matter what the struggles that we're going through, no matter what the challenges and uncertainty of our lives, that there is a God with us. And that was the message that God gave to Joseph just before the wise men showed up on the scene in chapter 1. He said, don't be afraid to take Mary. By the way, you're going to name this baby Emmanuel, which means God is with us. You see, their answers didn't just solve their intellectual problems. Their answers led them where? It led them to the baby. They led them to Jesus. Their questions led them to Jesus. And when you're looking for answers, instead of finding a sign, they found a person. They found Jesus. They found Jesus. And when they found him, they worshiped him. They acknowledged that we don't know everything about this baby. We don't quite get everything about this baby, but there's something going to be incredibly significant about this baby, and we're going to worship him. We're going to follow him. We're going to give him these, these gifts. And so when you think about this whole idea of the wise men, of what they discovered, 
did they get an answer to where is the child? They got that answer, but they got far more than that answer. They got Jesus. And the truth is, is that Jesus is with us, that God is with us in every situation we find ourselves. God is with us when our heart is breaking. God is with us when our family's a mess. God is with us when we're walking through tragedy and sudden loss, as we prayed earlier. God is with us when you try to make sense out of success and the meaninglessness that follows it. God is with you in the strangeness of love and financial tension. God is with you in every challenge that you are facing. And so the question is, what will you do with the person of Jesus, God with us? What will you do with him? Because when God is with us, it changes everything. Should be an exclamation point. When God is with us, it changes everything. So what does it look like for you to have God with you this Christmas season? What does it look like for you to have God with you this Christmas season? I want you to think about those unanswered questions that are sitting there right now. And I thought of a few things. When God is with us, we experience joy when God shows up and meets our needs. When God is with us, we experience peace when life is unsettled. When God is with us, we experience love to offer to other people what's not deserved. When God is with us, we are able to move graciously towards family that might not have been gracious towards us. When God is with us, we're able to share with those who can give us nothing back in return. When God is with us, we act in faith and not in fear. And when God is with us, we choose to follow Him no matter what comes your way. These wise men, they were willing to set everything aside, comfort clarity, direction, and say, we're going to pursue these questions. The questions led them to a person. And so my, my challenge to you today is, what are the questions that you're asking? What are the questions that you're asking? And does the truth that God is with us change the way you face those questions? Change the way you face those questions. How will God being with you this Christmas season change your life? How will God being with you this season change your family gathering? How will God being with you this season change your perspective towards people that you have to be with but don't want to be with? How will God being with you this Christmas season affect the loneliness that you're dreading entering? How will God being with you this season calm the churning chaos inside your soul? The Magi discovered the person of Jesus. They no longer needed a sign because they had met Jesus. Didn't take away the risk, didn't take away their fear, 
God walked with them and directed them, and he promises to do the same with you. Would you bow your heads with me as we close? And as we do, I just want to give you a moment to talk to God. To thank Him that He is with you and with us. And for you to ask His presence to change the way you experience Christmas this year. God, as we enter this Christmas season, the way we view things changes as we get older. Our faith seems to diminish. Our questions seem to increase. Our ability to trust can feel like it's completely gone. And yet, God, you've given us an opportunity today and over the next few weeks to look at life a little differently. Not because we're trying to find answers, not because we're trying to make our problems go away, but because you have promised to be with us, to walk with us, no matter what we're facing. And God, when life is, seems to be going okay, we don't tend to think about you. And when life is not going okay, you don't seem to be enough. And so God, help all of us, no matter where we're at in our journey, no matter what life has brought our way, um, to lean into you, to rest in you, to rely on you, and to live in the hope that you are with us. Help us to do that this Christmas season, God. In your name we pray. Amen.